welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by dermatologist Dr. Cara McDonald, who is here to answer all of your SPF questions. For complete transparency from the outset, this episode is sponsored by La Roche-Posay. However, all of Dr. McDonald's views are her own and you will hear absolutely no specific product recommendations throughout this interview. Those of you who do follow me on Instagram will be well aware that I am a long-term user and lover of La Roche-Posay products, their Anthelios SPF collection in particular. So partnering with them on a subject that I am so passionate about, that subject being sun protection, felt like a genuine and very natural fit. I never like to answer skin-specific questions myself as I am an educated consumer and by no means am I an expert, which is why I've sought said expert advice from Dr. Cara. I took to Instagram last month to collate your SPF questions. And in this episode, Cara discusses everything from mineral to synthetic, UVA to UVB, and precisely what the sun is doing to your skin. So we know that the sun can do all sorts of things to the skin. So I want to start there and then, you know, we'll get into the specifics. So perhaps we should start with tanning. What is a tan? Sure. Well, um, I think to understand exactly what a tan is, it helps to just be able to visualise the skin. Mm -hmm. So I like to explain um, the way the skin is, is. It's a little bit like having a brick wall of cells. Right. And those cells that make up your brick wall are are neat, perfectly laid bricks if they're undamaged cells. Mm-hmm. And along the bottom layer of your brick wall, you'll have small like little pebble type cells right. and they just sit along the bottom layer and that's what we call melanocytes. So they are actually the cell that produces the pigment right. that, that um, results in a tan. Underneath your brick wall is where your collagen and your elastin and your derma sits, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's also where your blood vessels and your nerves and so on are. So I like to think of that as the foundation of the skin below your brick wall. Mm -hmm. So when you get exposed to the sun, it's actually the melanocytes that activate and they actually produce a pigment that then fills up those bricks with some sort of colour and then that acts to shade all that bottom layer of the skin. Mm-hmm. So it will shade the melanocytes, but it will also shade the basal layer of the brick wall, mm-hmm. which is where our cells divide. So they're the ones that really need protecting because they're the ones that if they divide, they could become cancerous. Right. So a tan basically is pigmentation that's produced by the melanocytes, but it fills up or it enters the other cells to shade the deeper layers of the skin. Mm-hmm. And um, there's basically uh, two types of tanning. One is that increased pigmentation that's produced and the other, and that's mostly by UVB, but UVA also increases your tan by darkening the pigment that's already there. So it actually oxidizes some of the pigment that was already produced and sits in those cells naturally, Mm -hmm. which is the pigment that gives us our skin color. And so that can darken literally in hours. And that's why after being in the sun, you can look brown, you know, instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but that will also fade faster because those cells are higher up in the skin. Yeah. The um, the new pigment that's produced will fill up those cells over a couple of days. And that's why you'll get a tan as well that comes out more slowly. Right. I hear even amongst my friends, they'll say, 
Oh, we may as well just wear sunscreen because you can still get a tan through it. Is that true? And if you are getting a tan through your sunscreen, does that just mean the SPF's not high enough? Yes and no. So um, there's a few reasons. No sunscreen um, gives you 100% block of UV light. Right. So you are always going to get a little bit of UV through any sunscreen or any sun protection, unless it's a complete sort of blackout clothing type protection. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you will still see some tanning. But particularly also, we know that UVB is the one that causes what we see as a sunburn or reddened, painful skin, Mm -hmm. whereas UVA um, causes um, uh, other skin damage, which I'll explain, but it does darken your tan as well. So a lot of sunscreens have quite high UVB protection, so you won't feel like you've got a sunburn, but you're still getting enough UVA to tan and potentially enough UVA to cause premature aging and other skin damage Mm -hmm. so if you are seeing tanning you are getting some sun damage that's that's the bottom line Mm -hmm. but if you're not burning you are at least still getting some protection from that sunscreen from the uvb right on that note we're seeing a lot of tanning oils that claim to have spf in them things like you know tan but the safe way it feels counterintuitive to have a tanning oil with spf in it Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it is counterintuitive and, um, you know, what you're thinking is, is the bottom line, that if you are getting some tan, then you are getting some damage. Yeah. However, obviously there's a spectrum and it's a degree of damage mm-hmm. and what type of damage you're getting as well. Um, and it comes back to using a low SPF. Yeah. It will still reduce your sunburn. It will still reduce the DNA damage caused by UVB. Mm-hmm. But if it's low, then you're still getting enough rays through that you're getting some tanning mm-hmm. without the burning. Um, but as I said, if you're getting some tanning, you're still getting some damage. So it's still a choice. If you want to use tanning oils, you might not get as much damage as if you went without. Yeah. But you're still getting some damage if you're still tanning. You've sort of touched on this already, but very top level, what is sunburn? So sunburn is irreversible uh, DNA damage to the keratinocyte, which is that Mm -hmm. skin cell I talked about in the brick wall. Yeah. And when that DNA gets damaged, the body detects that as a bad thing because it's going to become a cancerous cell um, down the track or potentially immediately god our bodies are clever we are very clever and so it's the body that then kills off those cells by a mechanism we call apoptosis which is um killing your own cells because they're damaged or there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. and so the pain the redness the inflammation that we get is the body's reaction to the dna damage that the sun has caused so it's a radiation burn damages the DNA and your body will actually destroy those cells and hence the blistering, peeling uh, and so on that we see yeah, that after some feeling. Mm. We know that sun exposure can lead to ageing of the skin in as little or as great detail as you wish. Can you talk me through this process? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's multiple different mechanisms by which the um, sun ages us. Mm-hmm. And so 
the way I like to think about it is first of all divided up into UVB and UVA, which are the main um, types of radiation from the sun that cause premature aging. Mm-hmm. And we've always known that um, UVB causes, um, well, for a long time we've known that it causes skin cancer, mm-hmm. DNA damage to the cells. So it penetrates to a depth really where the bottom of that brick wall is, the bottom of your skin cells, and that's where the cells divide. And if you cause DNA damage there, down the track, um, those cells will be abnormal. Mm-hmm. They'll be um, more likely to become a cancerous cell because you've got this baseline DNA damage that um, down the track, each time they divide, they can mutate further. So UVB causes DNA damage, but UVA penetrates deeper than UVB. Mm-hmm. And so most UVA um, penetrates more down into that dermis layer, which is underneath your cellular layer. But it does actually um, cause premature ageing and increases your risk of skin cancer as well. Mm -hmm. And UVA is probably more relevant in premature ageing because it causes more damage to the collagen. Um, It makes collagen disappear faster by activating the enzymes that damage collagen. It decreases the immunity in the skin, which subsequently increases our risk of skin cancer as well as causing premature ageing through inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as that, it increases these reactive oxygen species, which is the oxidative damage in the skin. Mm-hmm. And that um, causes premature aging as well as increases our risk of skin cancer as well. Right. So it's actually been relatively recently that we've realized that just because you're not getting a sunburn reaction that's killing off those cells, mm-hmm. You, you are still getting a fair bit of damage from UVA um, and certainly a lot of premature ageing um, as well. That's so important to know because I have so many friends who will say, oh, I, I don't burn in the sun. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yep. Well, <laughs> sure, that's just one Lucky part you. Of it. Yeah. You've got less risk of skin cancer, but you're going to age just as quickly yeah. as the rest of us. So you've talked about how this can increase our risk of skin cancer. What is melanoma and what role does the sun play in its development? Okay, well, melanoma is one type of skin cancer that we get. Uh And broadly speaking, there's two main types of skin cancer. So we group them as melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't actually know anything about the non-melanoma skin cancers because they don't tend to be as serious. So... Um, they don't generally spread to elsewhere in the body and therefore, you know, they're not likely to kill you. Right. Whereas melanoma can spread and is therefore more serious, but it's actually much, much less common than the non-melanoma skin cancers. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for people to understand that non-melanoma skin cancer is very common in... um, at the, my parents' generation, sort of those in their 70s at the moment, two out of three Australians will get one. Yeah. So th- that's a very high incidence, whereas melanoma is much lower but more serious. So, again, thinking back to that brick wall, mm-hmm. the melanocytes sit along the bottom and if they become cancerous, that's a melanoma. If any of those other cells become cancerous, it's a non-melanoma skin cancer. Right. And hence them being much more common. The main differences is that one tends to be pigmented, it looks like a mole or it comes from a mole or mm-hmm. a freckle. The uh, non-melanoma skin cancers tend to be more skin coloured or like a sore that doesn't heal and so on. Um, but they both need surgical treatment and um, both can be serious in their own right in mm-hmm. different people. 
And uh, so it's very important to try and protect against both. But the bottom line is that the DNA damage that's caused by the sun can lie there sort of dormant in those cells. And when I say dormant, the DNA damage remains. Every time those cells divide, there's a risk of a mutation. And if the DNA is already damaged, that risk is much higher. So you can have had the sun damage when you're, you know, in your childhood or teens or Mm. 20s. And then in your 50s and 60s, when your body... Um, isn't as good at controlling that cell division and checking for mutations, um, which is what we do the whole time, back to being clever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's later on that you pay for the damage you had earlier. Mm-hmm. And I see people all the time that say, but I don't go in the sun. And it's about understanding that the damage earlier will, will you did. haunt you later. Yeah. Yeah. We've touched on UVA and UVB and the difference between the two. Is... A sunscreen that is broad spectrum, so UVA and UVB protection, is that enough or do we also need protection from things like visible light, infrared light, so on and so forth? Okay, so unfortunately sunscreens are really complicated and the labelling is very confusing for people. And um, for that reason, people still don't protect well enough against UVA a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And broad spectrum means that now that there has to be a relative um, uh, adequate amount of cover for UVA compared to the UVB coverage, which is labelled, okay, Okay. or UVB protection. So an SPF um, 50 is the SPF is specifically telling you how much UVB coverage we have. I did not know this. Okay, so it's, okay. it's quite complicated. Mm. And this is why our labelling has changed in recent years. Yeah. Because UVA was not accounted for adequately at all. And essentially, um, it's proportional. If the sunscreen is labelled broad spectrum, you know it has this proportional coverage of UVA. Mm-hmm. But you need it to be SPF 50 or above in the UVB for the UVA to actually be half decent. Right. Okay. So in terms of UVB coverage, so SPF we're yeah. talking, there's not a lot of difference between how much your protection your protection you'll get in SPF 30 versus 50 in terms uh-huh. of the amount that's actually blocked. Yeah. But the um, corresponding UVA in those two products is very different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the bottom line is you want SPF labeling over 50 mm-hmm. so that you know you've got adequate UVA and it needs to be labeled as broad spectrum. So it needs to be SPF 50 and broad spectrum to know that you've got enough UVA coverage in there. Um, and that's because there's no standardized way to label UVA coverage. Right. So we're relying on these terms that um, indicate it's in there mm-hmm. rather than knowing exactly how much is there. Does yeah. that make more sense? Yes, it does. Well, I got a lot of questions from people asking about, you know, someone had read that SPF 45, for example, she read that it protects against 98% of UVB rays. So, you know, what's the yep. difference between the levels of F- SPF? But that's now and you've that's explained why, it. Until a few years ago, we only labelled in Australia to SPF 30 plus. Do yeah. you remember that? And the reason that was is because it was shown that consumers think that if it's SPF, um, you know, 100, Mm -hmm. they're invincible. 
Okay. Yeah. And so even though we did have some sunscreens that are SPF 100, it was thought that it was best to only lab- label to 30 plus because we wanted the message that you still need to be careful, you still need to reapply, you still need to not consider this as the be all and end all of all sun protection. Mm-hmm. Whereas you give someone a SPF 100, which can be labelled overseas as that, and they think, wow, you know, I don't have to do anything else. I can sunbathe yeah, all look day at me. with this on. Mm. Right. So we used to only label to 30, but then it was appreciated how important UVA is. Mm -hmm. And it was realized that in a 30, there's a huge difference between SPF 30 and SPF 50 in terms of what UVA can be in there. Mm -hmm. So now we can label to SPF 50 plus. And if it's 50 plus, it means it's actually at least 60, not 50. Yeah. And if you've got 50 plus, your UVA is pretty good so long as it's broad spectrum. I feel like a light bulb's just gone off above my head because I keep saying to people, use 50 plus, but I have no idea why. No. The (laughs) reason is because now you'll have good UVA and now you won't age as quickly. Amazing. You mentioned that overseas there are sunscreens that are labelled up to 100. Why does that differ from country to country? Look, it just comes back to um, the, you know, consumer decisions in Australia. I can't give you all the details other than um, there's a lot of differences between countries in all sorts of drug labelling, advertising, all those sorts of things. And um, it has been, I suppose, probably more carefully considered in Australia Mm -hmm. because uh, we need to be more careful with our sun protection. And um, the regulations on the whole are stricter for uh, pharmaceuticals and um, uh, other drugs. Mm, as they should be. Another thing I got asked a lot about is the difference between physical sunscreens in inverted commas and synthetic or chemical sunscreens. Can you explain the difference? What are the arguments for and against each? Okay, so quite complicated. Mm-hmm. But to simplify it, synthetic or also known as chemical sunscreens and ironically also called organic sunscreens because they're made of organic material as materials as in carbon particles are an organic compound. Right. Um, but it's different to the organic that the consumer thinks of. But sometimes you will see organic sunscreens which are the same as chemical sunscreens or synthetic sunscreens. Mm-hmm. These are specific chemicals that are designed to absorb UV light. So UV light will be absorbed and then it's basically transmitted into a very low energy sort of heat. And the way they work is that they get actually taken up by the outer surface of the skin. So they actually get taken into the the sort of dead skin layer on top Mm -hmm. and then they will absorb um, UV through the day. And the reason that they have a a longevity is because they um, basically um, get to a capacity where they can't continue to absorb after a certain number of hours mm-hmm. um, but that that lasts a long time so chemical sunscreens absorb uv physical sunscreens are really fine particles that actually reflect so much like metals can reflect or right. um, ground up uh, uh, rocks and so on they reflect uv back again so they actually scatter it and reflect it away from the body mm-hmm. So what we know is that um, people worry about chemical sunscreens sunscreens because they think that they will be absorbed into the body. Yeah. Whereas, in fact, uh, very little is absorbed beyond the, the outermost layer of the skin. And the skin is very good at keeping stuff out. We have to put 
um, huge scientific development into finding ways to get active ingredients and skincare through the skin barrier. It's a very effective way of keeping stuff out of the body. And um, in most cases, uh, these chemicals are not absorbed in any um, significant detectable amount into the body. They sit in that outer layer. Mm -hmm. People worry about physical sunscreens because they have been um, linked to nanoparticles. And nanoparticles, a lot of people don't understand, but nanoparticles are just very, very small particles that have been essentially ground up. And the reason we use nanoparticles is because otherwise you have the cricketer's zinc on your face. Yes. Okay, so your physical sunscreens are zinc oxide or Mm -hmm. titanium dioxide, and both of them are visible on the skin and less used in a nanoparticle. Right. Again, this has been heavily researched, and um, the uh, Australian Therapeutic Goods Industry industry association sorry the tga has done a review of this and found that there's no good evidence that um, nanoparticles in sunscreens enter the body Mm -hmm. but when we look at nanoparticles in the body so in the lab situation for example um, those particles in the body can cause um, dna damage which is where the concern has come from Mm -hmm. But again, they don't seem to penetrate through the skin. So neither of these sunscreens should actually enter the body. They both act on the surface. The one thing that most people don't understand is that the combination together is what allows us to get a really high SPF. So Uh one on its own um, is never going to be as good. So if you just use chemicals or just use physical, you tend to never be able to get as high SPF as if you use them together. So it's like a synergistic activity where the the way they interact can give you a higher spf for Mm -hmm. that sunscreen and so for people that um you know are set on one or the other for various reasons um they can't tend to get a high as high spf so they're not going to get as good sun protection right the problems that they cause mostly are chemicals can cause irritation or sensitivity or allergy in some people. Mm-hmm. So some people struggle with certain um, chemical sunscreens, but there are a huge number of different ones available and most people won't react to all of them. It's only certain uh, specific chemicals. Of and course. in some cases we need to do testing to work out whether or not people um, react to some or all of them. Mm-hmm. But it, but for people that, that have very sensitive skin, often they lean towards the physical blockers right? because they feel like they're less irritating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a question about nanoparticles and I read it and went, I have absolutely no idea what this is about, <laughs> but you've answered that. So right. <laughs> fantastic. You mentioned um, at the very beginning there, you mentioned organic and how people see the word organic and their mind goes elsewhere. There's obviously a difference between organic and natural. We don't have to go into that. But is there such a thing as a truly natural, in inverted commas, mm. SPF? Um, mud. Okay. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, Looks fantastic <laughs> yeah. as well. It sits beautifully under Clothing. makeup. Clothing yeah. is, is very, you know, um, natural. Mm-hmm. But in terms of commercially available sunscreens, No. Okay, um, so you're however, live in a box, really. Well, what what's your definition of natural? I mean, this unfortunately has no definition in skincare. Exactly, it's a marketing term. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. Um, if you look at what it means for most people that use it, it's 
contains some ingredients derived from natural sources. Yeah. It's so vague that um, it You could it put that on anything. You could put it on anything. Um, and that's why, you know, when people say I want something natural, in most cases they have no idea what they actually want mm. um, because they don't understand that natural um, doesn't really mean anything. And, you know, one of the most natural things you can find is petrol that comes straight out of the ground but I wouldn't put that on my face wouldn't have thought so so it's actually about looking for things that don't cause problems and sometimes they are very very carefully formulated over you know many years to be completely safe not penetrate not cause irritation not cause allergy and they've had so much science put into them to make sure they do all those things Mm that of course they're not natural, Um, whereas something that's completely natural might cause all sorts of problems. So it depends on that person's skin and when they say natural or organic, what they really are after, whether it's they want something safe, which is what most people actually mean, or um, whether, you know, they want to um, not use anything. Mm. I think, um, you know, we talk about how natural is so vague, but I think the same goes for a word like chemical. People hear chemical and they panic, but really that encompasses just about everything. Just about everything. It, it does encompass everything. Yeah. yeah. Everything we eat is a chemical. Everything we, you know, use. Um, and that's why, you know, the terms have been unfortunately uh, confused. Yes. That's putting for it very, reasons. very diplomatically. <laughs> yeah. Um, Speaking of sunscreens causing problems, a listener has asked, what do I do if every sunscreen I've tried breaks me out? Okay. Um, Common complaint. And um, in most cases, it's actually an irritant reaction, not true acne. They can look very similar, but it could be acne for some people. Mm -hmm. Um, And an irritant reaction can look like little bumps on the skin or or little sort of tiny little pimples or more of a rash, sometimes itchy. There's different kinds of reactions to sunscreen. So irritant, like I mentioned, acne, which is um, from blocking the pores or often from inflammation. And thirdly, there's true allergy. An allergy tends to give you an itchy rash. Mm -hmm. Um, So it tends to be a bit different. It really needs to be taken back to the drawing board to work out what sort of reaction they're getting. Um, And as I said, the most common one is irritants. So we look for sunscreens that have the least irritants as possible. And fragrances are irritating. Um, Yes. So fragrance-free, look for low low allergy or hypoallergenic formulas, Mm -hmm. Um, non-comedogenic, meaning they don't cause acne formulas. And so those sunscreens that are specifically um, formulated for sensitive skin tend to stop people from breaking out. Right. But if, if I've got someone that feels that they've tried a whole lot and they they continue to get breakouts, first of all, I'll get them to just test small areas at a time with the sunscreens that I um, feel are most likely safe. And if we're still struggling, we can send them for a type of testing called patch testing to see whether they're truly allergic to specific chemicals that can be in sunscreens Mm -hmm. or creams, like preservatives, fragrances, sunscreen ingredients. And if we can actually define what they might be allergic to, we can often find a sunscreen that they're not allergic to. Amazing. Um, But there's lots to work out before we can always 
go to the, the right one. Is the yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go and say dermatologist. Let's talk about applying our SPF. Yep. Do we need to leave time in between applying our sunscreen and exposing our skin to the sun? Um. Ideally, you, you're looking for a few minutes. Most sunscreens okay. recommend 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Um, and the reason that it, that is is because they are actually absorbed into that top layer of the skin. Yeah. And like you know, anything that you put on the skin takes a little while to just absorb mm-hmm. properly. And the more um, time you give it to absorb in, the better it's going to function. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you literally have to walk out the door, you're still better off putting your sunscreen on it and it's going to give you some protection immediately. But the full protection might be, you know, once it's fully absorbed and doing its job. And um, the problem with, you know, not giving it that time is that if, for example, you put something over the top of it like makeup or, you know, you rubbed your skin or jumped in water, you might rub some of it off where it hasn't actually been absorbed yet. You're going to be able to rub some of it off or move it around. Um, Whereas if you give it that time, you know, it doesn't just rub off because it's actually in the skin cells. Yeah. Physical blockers will rub off much more easily than the chemical ones. Is there a hard and fast rule as to how much sunscreen we need to apply? Um. There are guidelines for this, yeah, and that is because when that testing for SPF is done, that's done in um, a laboratory kind of situation. It's done mm-hmm. on real skin, but um, the way it's done is that the sunscreen is applied to the skin, and it's literally a timer to say that if this skin will burn um, or start to go red in ten minutes without any sunscreen on, how long does it take? Uh, once you've applied the sunscreen so spf is some protection factor and if it takes 50 times as long to go red um with the sunscreen as without it then that Mm -hmm. will be an spf 50 okay yeah but that's a very controlled environment so it's a very um it's an even uh, controlled amount of uv that's being applied there's no sweating there's no swimming there's no rubbing the Mm -hmm. skin and um a very specific quantity has been applied. So if you don't apply that same quantity and you're not in the same environment, the SPF will be a bit more variable than what's been measured in the, in the lab situation. Right. Okay. So, um, in terms of applying it, generally the more, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, but it needs to be, um, cosmetically, you know, yeah. Acceptable as well so you find you've got to find your balance there for the face and neck it's approximately half a teaspoon that gives you the amount that is used right. for that spf and i always um explain to people that you know if you're painting a wall in your house and you put one coat on it never looks even no, right it it's not <laughs> it's always a bit patchy whereas if you put a second coat on all of a sudden it looks pretty even mm-hmm. so you can see that even that double application will have a a great benefit if you are going to be outdoors all day or you're really going to be in intense uh, middle-of-the-day sun. Yeah. Putting on a double layer is always going to be better than one layer. But um, the more you can put on that feels acceptable to whatever your situation is of the highest SPF you can use, the better you're going to be. I'm glad this question has been asked because it's one of my favourite to yell at people about. Mm -hmm. Um, SPF in foundation. 
How much yeah. would we need to be putting on our face of a foundation to be effectively protected from the sun? Well, the bottom line is you couldn't put enough on. That's the point, right? Yeah. It's not um, usually going to be high enough and you'll find that most foundations, there are some with high SPF, mm-hmm. but most are fairly low and therefore they're not going to have very good UVA coverage either. Yeah. And... Um, most of us are worried about premature aging as well as skin cancer, so we want to make mm-hmm. sure we've got that covered. But I suppose some is better than none in all sure. situations. So I do see some old people and they have obviously put their foundation on every day of their life and it has protected their skin compared mm-hmm. to someone that hasn't done that. But if you want the best protection you can get, you are not going to get it just from foundation. You yeah. need to use sunscreen amazing in what order should we be applying sunscreen in the grand scheme of our skincare routine and does that order differ for things like zincs compared to synthetic or chemical sunscreens okay um thinking back to the skin it makes this really easy okay if you think of the layers of the skin the first thing you've got to put on is whatever you want to go deepest okay Uh so active ingredients want to go into the deep layer of the skin put them on first moisturizer you want to help improve your barrier which is the top layer of the skin put it on next sun protection you want it on the top layer of the skin put it on last Mm -hmm. obviously if you're going to apply makeup that's a camouflage type um, application so that goes certainly how i consider it (laughs) um so that's always the order it doesn't really matter whether it's chemical or physical um, blocker it should always go after moisturizer before makeup so easy in an ideal world Amazing. Cool. Well, that cancels out the next question. Perfect. (laughs) For how long, this is, I imagine, similar to the question I asked before, but how long should we wait in between applying our sunscreen and then applying our foundation or primer or whatever's next? Yeah, so just giving it that few minutes to absorb properly is going to prevent you from then rubbing it off in sections as you apply your makeup. And it depends, again, what sort of makeup you're using, whether that has SPF in it as well, Mm -hmm. how much you're rubbing it, buffing it and um how you're applying it but if you can give it a few minutes to um, absorb i always like to explain what i do which is put my sunscreen on and then i'll do stuff like my eyeshadow and eyebrows and things that um you can do before i know some people prefer not to uh, your foundation but it gives that skin a few minutes to absorb the sunscreen properly then put my foundation over the top Mm -hmm. What kind of sunscreen should we look for if we want to avoid a white cast in flash photography? So the white um, cast is usually due to those reflective sunscreens, mm-hmm. okay? So your physical blockers, will, which will reflect light. And so with a flash, it will reflect the light back at you. Yeah. And so what you need to use is chemical sunscreen without a physical blocker. Perfect. Hypothetically, if we only apply our SPF first thing in the morning... How long will it last? Well, if you go back to that sun protection factor, your SPF, and you've got 50 plus, which means that you've got SPF 60 coverage or higher, Mm -hmm. um, you're looking at 8 to 10 hours in ideal laboratory conditions. Yes, that's the the thing. (laughs) So, which is not real life. However, um, it's certainly fairly long-lasting protection. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sweating or swimming or 
rubbing it off, uh, you do get reasonably good coverage all day. And okay. the reality is that most women are not going to take off their makeup, put sunscreen on and reapply their makeup during the day. Well, I had a lot of people ask how would they reapply it during the day? It's, it's just not reality. It's yeah. not realistic. So that brings me back to use the best sunscreen you can. Yeah. Okay. And often um, people do ask me which sunscreen, what brands and so on. It's the sunscreen that is the highest SPF mm-hmm. that sits on your skin well for the day that's not too expensive because you don't want expensive sunscreen that you're like, oh, I'll just use a few drops yes. because I want this to, I'll you save know. it for a special I, occasion. Yeah. I mean, the sunscreen is the one thing that you do not want to skimp on. Mm. Um, so I would far prefer people use an affordable sunscreen yeah. that they can, you know, so long as it's got the right SPF, um, but that they can use enough of it and get that great layer up front and then you will get, um, you know, pretty good coverage. I certainly don't reapply during the day unless I'm outdoors during the day. And of course I will. Mm. I have two kind of days. I have a normal day yeah. where I'm going to put it on once and I'll tend to wear makeup. If I know I'm going to be outdoors for the day, outdoors in the middle of the day, I will make sure I use some sort of um, makeup and sunscreen that um, I can reapply, like a tinted um, sunscreen instead of putting makeup on. Mm-hmm. And worst case scenario, like, you know, you're going to the races or something. You're never going to reapply your sunscreen no. in the of the day. You know, use hats. Make sure you're in the shade as well during the middle of the day. Use those other types of sun protection we know work to complement the good SPF you've put on at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. If we did work outdoors, weren't wearing makeup, how often should we reapply? Let's just say we're a tradesperson and we're a bit sweaty. Yeah, the recommendation would be every two hours. Cool. And um, for tradies, outdoor workers, I highly recommend that. But if they say, I'm just never going to do that, I'm filthy dirty, I'm sweaty, I can't put it on every Sounds two hours. Sounds very familiar. <laughs> There's a couple of tricks. One is just get a an aerosol-type spray one mm-hmm. and just spray it over the top of everything else that's on your skin. Yep. So for tradies, I get them to do that. Get Just spray it on top of their dirt, on top of their Love hair, um, around their ears is where they get yes, a lot of sun they forget the ears. damage and skin cancers occur there very commonly. So I like to get them to spray over everything if needed. Yeah. And then I ask them to try when they actually have a lunch break to get, you know, baby wipes or a wet towel or whatever, give their skin a clean and reapply it properly. Easy. In the middle of the day. This is another listener question. Given that the majority of people don't use the recommended amount of SPF or reapply as advised, how do you feel about a direct quote, something is better than nothing mentality? Well, that pretty much um, covers what I just said, which yeah. is it It always is. Yeah. Anything is better than nothing. Um, and so long as you go for the best upfront and um, get the high SPF, good UVA protection with broad spectrum, something that sits nicely on your skin under your makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a an average, you know, day out of one application of sunscreen for sure. Great. To wrap up, and I got this from a few people, so I must have some, um, you know, listeners that actually care about <laughs> sun protection. Excellent. What is the easiest and most effective way to convince those around us that we need to wear SPF every day? 
All right, I find this, well, I think it's fairly easy. I think I convince most people. There's two things. One, Australia has the highest rate of skin cancer in the world. Mm -hmm. We know the sun causes skin cancer. We don't have any good evidence that sunscreens cause any worse problem than that. So if you want to choose, um, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't perhaps, but um, I would choose to prevent skin cancer, which we know can be deadly. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, Australian women are photo-aged well ahead of their years compared to other countries. Right. So one study has shown that we can... Um, be aged about 20 years older than most European um, or overseas women at the same age and that's due to sun damage. So we also know that the sun causes premature ageing. So we know it causes skin cancer, we know it causes premature ageing. It comes down to a choice. Which one, you know, which one do you want? Sun protection or those two things? As well as that, I try and overcome the barriers, which are, you know, it causes irritation. I just don't have time. I don't like the feel of it. I just don't have time. It's yeah. a personal um, So it's about making it routine, making it every day. One of the biggest ones I get is that, oh, I'm not out in the sun. I don't go out in the sun. I don't need sun protection. So I do like to explain that UVA is there 365 days of the year. It's fairly consistent. Even if you're not burning, Mm -hmm. even if you're not outdoors for more than a couple of minutes, walking to your car, hanging out the washing, going to the supermarket, you can still um, be exposed to enough UVA to age prematurely Mm -hmm. and um, potentially uh, get skin cancer down the track. So don't worry about the weather. Don't worry about what time of the year it is. Don't worry if you can't reapply during the day. Just put it on once a day when you brush your teeth and you will be a lot better off in 10, 20 years' time. That was dermatologist Dr. Cara McDonald, who you can reach via completeskinspecialists.com.au or on Instagram at completeskinspecialists or at Cara underscore dermatologist. You can discover more about La Roche-Posay, including my beloved Anthelios range at laroche-posay.com.au or on Instagram at laroche-posay-a-u-n-z. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining.